Welcome to the Loans on Demand podcast, the show where we flip the real estate status quo on its head and put loan officers into the driver's seat. We, we, we give you all the tools, strategies, resources, and mindset needed to modernize your mortgage business and thrive. And my name is Luke Shankula, aka Longform Luke, and this is the Loans on Demand podcast. I hope you're ready for the Loans on Demand podcast. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Loans On Demand podcast, the show where we help loan officers flip the status quo on real estate agents and put loan officers in the driver's seat. And today, man, I don't know if I've been more excited about an episode uh, than this one, but today we have Todd Duncan. Todd Duncan is known as the Tony Robbins of the mortgage industry. He is one of the top sales or authorities on sales mastery. Oh man, he's built, I mean, you wrote 17 books. Man, you've done a lot of stuff. So I'm going to let you go ahead and introduce yourself, Todd, because you're a legend in this space. So Todd, thank you for being here and welcome to the show. Hey, I can't wait to roll with you for uh, whatever time we want to roll. It's exciting to be with your tribe and uh, thank you for having me on. Uh, I figured out really early as a loan officer how not to do it like everybody else. And I think the best piece of advice I got right out of college, my first month in the loan business was um, stick your head up above the crowds, watch the way most loan officers are running, turn around and run the other way. And it was a decisive moment of disruption. It was like, don't be like everybody else, be unique. And the uniquer you get and the more unique your value is, the better you can do. And in 12 years, we helped 6,000 people buy real estate. And wow. uh, it was all all unconventional. And this will blow your mind, Luke, but half of it was we generated for our realtors. So you want to talk wow. about taking back the driver's seat be in control of lead gen and referral and don't let the realtor be in charge of lead gen and referral. And it's a, it's a, it's a fun way to do business. Oh man, I, I love it. And and what I love about it is that like, it feels like you, you were kind of way ahead of the, of the curve, right? I think the sort of status quo has been up to this point, you know, that, that real estate agents are kind of top of the totem pole loan officers go out there and, you know, chase down realtors. And, and it, and it makes sense because like, you know, you become a realtor and the first thing your, your, your broker tells you to do is go work your SOI, right? You yeah. become a loan officer. The first thing your branch manager goes to tell you to do is go cold call realtors. There's a reason why loan officers aren't going direct to the consumer. Um, it's because that's what they're taught right away, right? When they, they start. And, and it makes sense because, you know, at the end of the day, People want real estate. They don't want a loan, right? So, so the sexy part of the real estate transaction is the, the home, and so the realtor knows that, and they have that that sort of uh, that lead magnet, I guess you can call it. Uh, that's a, a lot sexier than the mortgage. But man, I love everything you're talking about here. Tell us a little bit about kind of the journey, the growth, like how you kind of got to where you are today, because I'm sure it wasn't always super easy. Yeah, well, I was, you know, I I, um, I was actually going to be a doctor, and my father's a doctor, was a doctor, and uh, uh, we decided like halfway through my sophomore year in college that I probably wasn't uh, equipped to be a doctor. And my dad, you know, <laughs> was paying out of state tuition, and he called me home. I had a one point three GPA. Oh, geez. and he said, you know, he said I'm not going to pay, you know, fifty thousand dollars a year for you to get a one point four GPA. You don't have to be a doctor. You know, you're really good at selling. You're really good at business. You should be in business. And he sure. said, SD is a great business school. Stanford's a great uh, business school. I'm not paying for either one of those, but Cal State Fullerton, <laughs> like the third business school, top rated business school in California. So I graduated with honors. I got out of college. Uh, 
about a month after getting out of college, I met with a guy named Don Tarbell, who happened to be my real, uh, my little league coach when I was a young kid. He was friends of my folks. Uh, backyard Fourth of July party. He said, what are you going to do with your life? And I said, I don't know. I just graduated. And he said so. And I said, yeah, I'm not sure. He says, have you thought about mortgage? And I said, I haven't. He said, maybe you should talk to Bob over at the mortgage company that the real estate company owns. And I said, okay, that sounds good. I went over, had an interview, uh, got a second interview, got hired, had 26 real estate offices had to start at San Clemente, California, go all the way to Anaheim, California and call on about a thousand realtors. And uh, and that's how I started, you know, it's like, here's your desk, here's your phone. Good luck, Todd, you're on your own. And uh, didn't know mortgage had a T in it, didn't know VA loans, did not require a down payment. I was just like in the weeds and I got sure. rejected everywhere I went. You know, you'd think that the, the mortgage company owned by the real estate company would be a slam dunk, right? I found it to be the absolute opposite. We were not called Mission, Mission Hills, mortgage. We were called Mission Impossible Mortgage by the realtors that were owned by the same company. And so I just got really frustrated, you know, the first couple of weeks or so. And uh, and I went to the beach one day and I said, you know, if I'm going to do this business, I got to figure out how not to do it, you know, in, in order to figure out how to. And the long story short is uh, I called a friend of mine, his dad owned a real estate office that I didn't call on. And I said, I want to come by and just watch what happens. And I sat there for three hours and watched title reps and, and loan officers come through the front door and nothing special, kind of just like what I did. And at the end of the day, I'm so grateful I waited. Uh, a guy comes in, his name is John Barnes. He's about my height, 6'4". He's dressed in an Armani suit. He's got a leather folio. He comes up to the desk. He says, my name is John Barnes. I have an appointment with Paula Richardson. Right there, I saw what I had been doing wrong. I didn't have an appointment with anybody. He disappears with Paula for 45 minutes. They come out of that meeting. He shakes her hand. And she shakes his hand and he looks her in the eyes and says, I look forward to a long and mutually profitable partnership. And right there, everything kind of lined up. And I said, I don't know what he did in that office for 45 minutes, but I'm going to call John. And I asked him to be my mentor. And it's kind of cool when people get mentored by somebody else, they feel at some point they want to mentor. And that's where John was. And John told me three things. He said, never make a call on anybody that doesn't know you're going to make a call on them. Never make a call on anybody that's not excited about having you make a call on them and never leave that appointment without adding a minimum of 10% of the value that you're going to give to them in relation to what you're going to make. So what do you do there? How do you, how do you show them that? How do you set the appointments? You know, what do you say in 45 minutes? And it made all the difference of the world. So in my entire career, 12 years, we funded 6,000 loans with 13 realtors. We completely controlled the business model. Well, and, and 50%, I mean, you said 50% of the, the, the business was given back to your realtor partners, right? Well, yeah. And so here, here's a real short, how to have power, right? How to have really, really large deposits of power. And I don't mean it negatively. I mean it from a value standpoint. So what, what I learned early on is this concept, and everybody wants to write this down. He who controls the lead controls the destiny of the loan and all the affiliated services. That's what I learned brand new in my career. So what did I want to do? I wanted to make sure that I flipped the script. 
instead of waiting, you know, hoping a real estate agent calls and gives me a buyer referral, I wanted to be in charge of all of that, right? And to the listener, all they need is 10 real estate agents that you're in charge of that refer you to borrowers a week. That's 80 a month at 20 a week. And all you need to do is have deep, high trust conversations with all of those borrowers. So at least one out of four, you know, applies and nine out of 10 close. And if you do that, you're going to fund 180 loans a year. If you take that conversion to 50%, you're going to fund 540 at 75%. So split the difference and it'd be like 360. So you need 10 people, right? And now what you need to do is take every single borrower and blow their mind in the borrowing experience and then engage them to become a sales force for you. And so I'll give you one example and then you can take me wherever you want to go on this one. I did a loan for a doctor. You know, I love doing loans for doctors. Doctors are well qualified. Uh, they got good credit and they know other doctors. So I did a loan for this guy and um, it, it was beautiful. You know, he 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 bought his dream home with his wife. They, they had a couple new kids under the age of five. It was just one of those beautiful moments where you got to watch them uh, when you hand them the keys, just put this smile on their face, walk in and see the kids jumping up and down. And after they got settled in seven weeks later, which we always did, we did a seven day post move-in review, not a post-closing review, but a post-move-in review because we wanted them to be in the home where the emotion really is, right? Right, right. And uh, yeah, and so we followed up and and he said to me, he said, um, I could not have done this without you. And I have so many friends that are doctors that need a mortgage professional like you. And I looked at him and I said, Tom, I'm ready to help. And so he said, I'm going to talk to the head of administration for Western Medical Center next week. And I'm going to see if you can get a private audience with a bunch of doctors. So I go ahead and get that appointment. We, we, we go into one of their big lunchrooms. We have a presentation on mortgages and, you know, and financial uh, wealth management with real estate. And I end up getting like 11 doctor loans that day. And then the hospital, listen, the hospital became a lead gen center for me, right? 1,750 doctors, 1,750 included in that, nurses, administrators, you know, people, uh, office clerks, everybody, not to mention, not to mention the patient lists of every doctor. Right. So Debbie Johnson was my realtor. She refers me to Tom, my first doctor. Tom refers me to the other doctors in the hospital. And listen to this, Luke. In 10 years, we pulled 492 contracts out of that hospital. Wow. For one realtor. For one realtor. Wow. She's not going anywhere. (laughs) No, that's 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 incredible. And And that's the uh, power. That's the power. But but tell me, I mean, because because that is the that is the power. But. That being said, there was something that you did to, in, to to get those referrals, right? I mean, you know, there's so many times people close deals and, and they don't pull referrals from people they're closing. And they forget that, like, for every one transaction, you should probably pull another half of a transaction, you know, out of it, right? I mean, maybe a quarter of a transaction, right? So for every two to four people you close, you should at least get another referral. I don't know. What are your numbers on that? Well, it's it's really interesting because if you stop and think about it, first of all, you're absolutely right. And one of the one of the laws that comes out of uh, our book High Trust Selling, which is celebrating its 20th year in in uh, publication this year, really wow. grateful for the people that read that book and uh, their life gets cha- gets changed. Um, what I what I talk about is I talk about this simple concept, right? If you don't follow up with them, they won't follow through with you. And the the play on that is. 
when when I'm meeting with a borrower, why would I not just be at level 10 epic? I mean, why would my knowledge not just be so beautiful and so sweet and so true and so soft and so relatable that people would feel safe and secure and totally comfortable with me handling this very, very important transaction? And 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 the answer should be they should never feel that they don't sense that from you, right? They should never feel that you're a numbers guy or you're cold and calculated or that, you know, you're trying to manipulate them into saying, yes, they should never feel that. And at the end of a high trust conversation with a borrower and um, putting them into kind of next steps, I always plant the seed at the front of the transaction. I say to the Johnsons, after we've done everything in our consult, I say, how do you feel? That's a big question. And they feel, if they feel great, have I answered all your questions? If they say yes, great. Do you feel less stressful now than when you arrived? If they say yes, they feel great. Awesome. Here's what I'd like to do. Between now and tomorrow, when we give you a 24-hour update, I'd like you guys to be thinking about anybody in your friendship circles, anybody that are colleagues at work, anybody that you think would like to experience what you guys just experienced with me and my team. And we would be delighted to receive those referrals from you because that's how we build our business. We spend 95% of the time making sure transactions go brilliantly well for people in process. And the only way we can afford to do that is if those same people help us find more people. Would you do that? And the answer was always yes. And sometimes you strike out. Sometimes they don't know anybody, but sometimes they go, you know what? I'm a senior partner at a law firm and there's 200 attorneys. Of course, I want my 200 attorney partners to know about Todd Duncan and how he and his team do mortgages. And the mindset then when you think about it is, okay, so let's say a borrower funds successfully, they're happy, they're in their home. And um, seven months after closing, they get pregnant with triplets. I'm really happy that I do an annual client review. And one of the questions that I ask in an annual client review is, how have the dynamics of your family changed in the last year? Well, if I asked that question of this couple, they would say three months ago, we got pregnant with triplets. This house that we bought is not going to be big enough. We already have two kids. We're going to have five. Um, I, we need to, we need to prepare. And I go, great. Let me call the agent. Let me see if we can set up an appointment. You know, let's go ahead and get it listed. What are you looking for in the new home? How many bedrooms do you want? Blah, 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 blah. Right. So what I'm doing, because I'm doing annual client reviews and I'm following up every day with people that I've previously helped finance the real estate dream is I'm using questions that allow me to be in the driver's seat, to be in the power seat of controlling the leads. And I can tell you right now that 95% of realtors are not going to call and even know that that couple got pregnant. And so when you look at that and you go, okay, so what just happened? I've got a listing that I'm going to take back to the original agent. I'm going to do the loan for the buyers buying that home, period, end of story. And I'm going to do the loan for the Johnsons who are buying a new home because they have three more kids coming in six months and then it's over. And then what people need to understand, and I'll just, I'll stop with this. If you have 400 borrowers that you serve, that you're calling at least once a year and you're acknowledging maybe their birthday and you're not sending out stupid auto marketing and you're really, really connecting. You know, I do I do just shy of 5,000 birthday messages a year right now. And they're all wow. video. They're all, they're all 45 seconds. Stay in touch. Stay in touch. If you're not in touch, you're out of touch. You want your clients for life. You got to talk to them during their life. So 400 people 
a loan or a referral to somebody that needs a loan, let's say it's about every 15 months. That's four loans in five years. If you make $3,500 a loan, that's $14,000 in five years. And if you have 400 loyal clients and you times it by $14,000, you're at about $7 million every five-year cycle in commissions. Why wouldn't you do that? And Luke, that's the biggest mistake people make. They don't stay in touch. Yeah. Well, and I think that's that's huge, right? I think so many times people are so transactionally minded um, with, they're just constantly looking for that next deal because they, they haven't done what you talked about, right? Which is build a pipeline of people and build also and work with the people that you're working with, right? Like, because I think I think the the stat is like every, like every seven years or so, uh, consumers move, right? Like, I think that's that's about the, the, the stat, right? So every seven years, and, and I think each person that buys a house typically buys four to seven, four to seven houses over their lifetime. So like, how do you capture those four to seven transactions over their lifetime? I mean, is that something that you're kind of thinking about when you're, when you're doing these touches? Well, it's, it's, it's how you set the, set the seed at the very start. I mean, I'm going to tell people, I'm going to say, I am so grateful that Debbie asked us to get together. I know you're going to be buying your first home. And at this point, I just want you to be comfortable that between now and the time you buy your last home, I'm going to be your mortgage strategist. And I'm going to help you every year, make sure the mortgage that you have on the real estate you own works for you instead of you working for it. Most lenders are happy to quote you a rate, send you a good faith estimate and do the deal. And then they're done with you. We approach things differently. We're going to help you integrate your long and short-term financial goals, your investment goals, your cash flow, and your payment goals into whatever mortgage we end up recommending for you. And then we're going to make sure for the rest of your life that that mortgage is working for you. And I'm just going to set the hook at the very start because 99% of lenders are one and done. And here's the deal, okay? So if I go back to John Barnes, that, that beautiful mentor that I had for uh, a decade in my my loan career, he said uh, he said something I'll never forget. He said transactions will make you a living, but relationships will make you a fortune, and that's the deal. I know a guy right now that's got nineteen thousand people in his borrower database, and he makes three and a half million dollars a year. He's buying real estate all day long. They're making about one hundred seventy five dials a day with four pods of concierge, and all they're doing is loving on their clients. And when you turn your database into a bank. That's essentially what I'm I'm asking you to consider, you know, use the technology that reminds you special events, reminds you when it's time to, you know, reach out, reminds you like when they say when they say, you know, um, I, th- I think I don't think we're going to move right now, but I think we're probably going to start looking next year, maybe in March next year in February. I'm going to get alerted and I want to call. And I got to use technology for this because if I'm so, so like when I when we'd fund a loan, let's say we fund a loan on April 15th, 2012. Well, April 15th, 2013. And for the next 19 years, there's going to be a reminder to reach out and conduct an annual client review. And I'm going to put a window of 20 on there. So it'll end in 2000 and what, 32, 42, whatever it is. Right. Now my time blocks every day are nurturing that network and staying in touch with it because it's, it's like gold. And if you don't do this, It'll take you twice or three times as long to make the same amount of money as you would make if you just loved on your database. You just got to love them, love them and tell them you love them and make sure they know you love them. I love it. I love it. And and I want to I want to segue a little bit into or not segue, but just kind of touch on on a piece that you talked about earlier. And you, you touched on 
the way you talk to them is like, hey, how do you feel? Right. And, and I think that's a, a, a big thing that people need to understand is, is feelings like that, that's reality to them. Right. Like so the way someone feels to them, that's reality, regardless of like what the truth is, regardless of how how it actually went down. Like if they feel confused, if they feel whatever, like that is their reality and they're not going to want to buy, they're not going to move forward, they're not going to do those things. So, so talk a little bit. I know your, your big thing is trust selling. So talk about how do you do that in general, right? Like what, what is kind of your, your, your secrets to, uh, to, to high trust selling? Yeah. So um, here's a couple of things that just kind of come to top of mind. Um, uh, turn down the promotion, turn up the emotion. Stop talking about you. Stop talking about what you do. Stop talking about, you know, your history. Start talking about what matters to the client and really start to understand emotional intelligence and really start to understand that people buy emotionally and then they justify logically. Yeah, this industry. Yes. <laughs> I love it, man. I love that so much. I say this all the time and I was actually going to bring this up earlier because I think so many times people try to educate people into buying and what it actually typically does is that, confuses them into not buying. And I don't mean you don't educate your buyers once they're once they're your buyers. I just mean like in the sales conversation, you don't want to confuse a, a, a consumer with DTI, LTV, all these weird acronyms that just they don't don't make any sense. So I love I love this man. Keep going. So right. so everybody that's watching this, you can you can go to toddduncan.com and you can download a white paper for free called Talk Less, Sell More. This is a brand new white paper. It's the most recent innovation on the high trust selling model. And what we actually hypothesize in there and then backfill with data proof is the people that win the most in selling are the ones that talk the least. And it's yep. a very just simple, high level concept, right? And so when we look at that, we go like, would it be possible for you as a loan professional to have a, a borrower, you know, husband, wife, bar, you know, borrower, co-borrower, would it be possible for you to ask one question and have that one question be so powerful that it converts the client to the highest level of trust possible and allows you to get started. And people go, there's no way. And so we have all the data points of 32,000 sales conversations. And oh. the data points are so mind boggling that the more words you use in a selling conversation, the less likely you are to earn trust, remove tension. In fact, you're more likely to confuse and then push people away. So in this white paper, we say, what would it be like if you could ask just one question. So I'll tell you one quick story. So middle of January this year, so that would be just about two months ago, we had a, a group of about 130 loan officers on a webinar for one, one of our corporate clients. And I was walking them through this talk less, sell more concept. And I said, so at the end of the webinar, here's your assignment. And we're going to come back together in 30 days. And you're going to tell me how it worked, right? So the assignment was to use the talk less, sell more philosophy with five agents and with five borrowers and be prepared to report in. So we get back on middle of February and we've got all everybody on Zoom. And so I said, so everybody knows what we're going to do. And I just need somebody to raise their hand and tell me what happened with the talk less, sell more with a borrower or an agent in the last 30 days. So this guy, Tim raises his hand and he said, I am blown away. I can't believe what happened. And I'm going, do tell, right? And he goes, I um, I got a chance to meet with a, a husband and wife. They were moving from Anchorage, Alaska down to uh, Portland, Oregon. And I was thinking about what question I would ask. And I really got clear for 
first time home buyers, this would be the question I would use all the time. And this was his first trial, right? So he's he's uh, with a couple and he's he's having a, uh, a setup and he goes, so, you know, as we get into this, um, I, I want to start by just asking you what I think might be the most important question of our our relationship together. So he's already set the hook. Right. And here's what he said. Or here's what he asked is a better way to phrase that. He looked him in the eyes and he said, what would it mean to the two of you if you could own a home? So what a question, right? He asked, what would it mean to the two of you if you could own a home? And the wife started crying within about 10 seconds. And the husband was like five or 10 seconds behind her. And they really got emotional about this. And the wife was kind of stammering. And she said, if we could own a home, we would be the first couple in the history of our family to own real estate. Yes, that is the type of impact, right? Right there. That's it, right? That's the type of impact. Wow. And and all all Tim did, he's telling everybody on this this webinar, he said, so I looked at them and I said, I'm going to help you do that. Are you ready to get started? And it was it. That was how long it took in a borrower sales conversation with one question to create emotional connection. Had They didn't ask rate. They didn't ask price. They didn't ask anything. So listen to this. I just got this this morning. We're on a coaching call and I've got a I've got a a group of people that are our master level. This guy texts me this morning at 8:11. Okay? So this is like 45 minutes before you and I got on. He said, "Hey, I just wanted to tell you that the other day after hearing the quote, what would it mean to you to own a home?" end quote question, I asked it of a young couple and have never felt such connection. Their answer had us all in tears. Thank you for sharing that because I'm going to be asking that question in every interview from now on. This Man, is like yeah. 40, this is like an hour ago, Luke. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I mean, as soon as you said that, like as soon as you even just said the question, I just knew. I mean, I got goosebumps yeah. immediately because I just knew like that you're hitting them on such a, a deep emotional level. Right. Like, what do you, what do you do there, but get emotional, right? I mean, especially yeah. like, like you said, I mean, and, and I think that's the impact that loan officers have and why it's so, so valuable. I mean, so, such a, such an important part of our, one, just our economy, but two, just like you're literally creating people like one, you're helping people build wealth, but two, you're also helping people achieve their lifelong dreams and things like this, right? Um, it, it's, it's uh, just an incredible, incredible opportunity to, to help people, you know, achieve lifelong dreams. I mean, I don't, I don't know how many other professions get to do that. Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. I, I mean, yeah. a home, I mean, that's the American dream, <laughs> you know, yeah. everybody, everybody knows that. So right. it's a, it's a pretty cool thing. Um, yeah. Just to kind of circle back around to the, the, the trust conversation, man, I love, I just really kind of love getting into that emotional. Is that sort of the, the approach there um, that, that you kind of take across everything, right? Cause I, I do think consultative selling is, is the, the new wave, right? I mean, that's what, that's what everybody's basically doing nowadays is ask a bunch of questions, find the pain, all that kind of stuff. Um, but, but what is, what is that sort of, how does that translate into just kind of a, a conversation with realtors? Let's just say like a loan officer wants yeah, to talk yeah. with a realtor versus a yeah. consumer, right? So I, and, and I think it, it works on both, uh, on both vantage points, you know, the, the same kind of question thinking works, whether I'm talking with a realtor a builder or a borrower. Uh, so that doesn't really matter, but here's what I, here's what I know for sure. I know for sure. Cause we just did a survey, our 30th, uh, sales mastery anniversary is coming up this October in Palm desert. And we, uh, just completed a survey on what people really wanted to, to hear and learn about. And, you know, my mentor that we started this conversation off with taught me this, 
when I first started doing loans. And here we are today with over 2000 responses from people that want to hear about how to build partnerships with realtors, right? And, you know, the real estate agent is going to be, albeit with technological tools, the vital part of the, the real estate you know, transaction and sure. the lender is also going to be part of that. And yep. I feel, I feel that in the digital world, we have to be very, very careful because speed kills in a relationship that requires humanity and connection. It doesn't mean that technology is bad. In fact, it's good if it can reduce labor load and it can improve the customer journey and the CX experience and and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, the higher the price of anything, the more emotion is involved. And I don't think there's anything more expensive than buying real estate. So right. I'll, I'll give you an example about like, like um, if I'm working with a real estate agent, um, I'll, I'll, I'll use three different types of questions. So here's one question. Let's say I'm working with a real estate agent and I want to talk about future state, right? So the question would sound like this to an agent. As you think about the next two to three years as a real estate professional, what are three or four of the things you know you need to do in your business that I could come alongside you and help you with? So the key is to have conversations where you're asking questions you've never asked so you can learn things you've never learned so you can solve things you've never solved. And loan officers need to ask questions with the intent to learn, not with the intent to sell. And so if you learn it, you can solve it. But people are going to buy when they're ready to buy, not when you're ready to sell something, right? So you got to right, right. get people in. So that's a future question. Here's a present question. When you wake up every day as a realtor right now, what are two or three of the things that consistently bother you, get in your way, or impede your success that you would like to have a success formula for? Boom. So now what I'm doing is I'm asking right now today, like if you could wave a magic wand, what are two or three or parts of your business that you just don't like, right? And that you need to fix. Because here's the deal. If I'm constantly providing solution to you as a real estate professional, you're never going to leave me. I'm going to help you win every day, but I can't help you win unless I know where you're, where you feel you're losing. Right? right. And so I've got to ask the right kind of question. So that's a present question and then a, and then a, uh, a future question. But here's a fear question. Questions okay. that are based on fear are really powerful. Sure. Um, I can look at I can say to a, a first time homebuyer, I could say um, as a first time homebuyer, most have a lot of fear. What are you afraid of right now? And how can I help you make that fear go away or to a realtor? As you look at your business right now, what scares you? And what would it look like if we could fix that so that you would no longer be fearful of that? And every everybody's got different answers. And so it's it's this idea of, of trust is not about asking questions because some sales manual told you to ask questions. Right. Trust is about this. Trust is about I'm going to ask questions that are designed to connect with you. I really want to. I really want to learn. I want to, I want to get into your soul. I want to, I want to find out what moves you. <clears throat> I want to find out what's important to you. I want to find out what I can do to help you win. You know, this is about you. I'm, I'm going to take the spotlight off of me. This is not about me. I'm here to help you win. If I help you win, I know you'll help me win. And that's the beauty of this high trust system. 
we have this this philosophy that in selling you're told to never give up well i would i would give up on failed strategy i'd be really clear on like if if I'm doing it a way and that way is not working, I'm not just going to keep doing it that way. And I think in sales call management and call reluctance management and, and you know, all of that kind of stuff, we get into the weeds a lot because we're just told, you know, 80% of the sales occur on the fifth attempt. And that's BS, right. Right. you know, and if that's what your model is, then how are you going to make four more sales calls that are going to outperform the first sales call if the first one was a bad impression, right? So really think about this. Think about being unique and different. So here is my script for realtors. Hey, Debbie, super excited to meet with you today. I really appreciate Ron's referral. Um, You're going to find pretty quickly that I am not like most loan officers. I'm not here to ask you for your borrowers. I'm not here to ask you for your business. I hope that becomes a byproduct of our relationship. But what I'm really here to do is to help you win and to help you be successful. And I always ask real estate agents at this point, what's important about being successful to you as a real estate agent so that I can begin to learn how we can win together. So let's start with that. Hey, Debbie, what's important about success to you as an agent? And I'm just going to zip it. I'm going to say most loan officers will come by and ask you for loans. I'm different than most loan officers. Most loan officers don't care about you enough to find out what's really important. I'm different. Most loan officers are going to make their money because they're going to get business from you. I'm different. I'm going to make my money because you're going to make more money from me giving you business. Those are just like, you got to crush the competition without naming them or calling them out. You just, you know. And you ask personal questions and sometimes an agent will say, you're getting personal. Well, no, not really. Um, I'm actually figuring out how to help you and I win together by knowing deeply what's important to you. Or most loan officers don't ask these questions. You know why they don't ask these questions? Because they only care about getting business. They don't care about helping you win. It's just like, boom, yeah. boom, 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 boom. And, 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 I, and I love that. And, and, and the other thing that, that I wanted, I have a quick story. We had a Adam Hires on, on a podcast a while back. And one of the things he mentioned was, you know, you, you talk about listening, right? Listening to the conversation, yeah. speak less, right? And so what, one of the things he did is he, he, there's a top producer who actually reached out to him. So he goes into this meeting. He's like, man, we can close in 14 days. We can do this. We can do that. We can do this. And the lady's like, man, that actually sounds stressful. I don't want to close in 14 days. I just want to know you're going to close on time. <laughs> he never got business from this lady. And so he's like, you know, yeah. clearly like you're not listening to what they're saying. Right. And so what I love about what you're saying is that like, you have to listen, but you actually have to care at the same time. Right. Because that is the, tr- that is true. Like people can tell, right. We tell, I tell my, 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 my team, I tell loan officer all the time, like people can tell when you have commission breath. Right. They can tell when you really need that sale, when you really want to want to win, like, you know, like and it's just right. it's just obvious. You have that desperate sort of like energy, you know, and for whatever reason, you can feel it. Um, so, I, you know, I love you that. Can. You can. Yeah. Yeah. Needy, needy salespeople, needy loan officers are not needed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. Um, so so um, one of the things that uh, I really liked as well is you, you've kind of developed a, a handful of laws. Um, in regards to sort of sales processes, talk a little bit about that for for a little bit. Yeah, love to hear some so, of your philosophy there. Yeah, so I think the the law. I mean, they're all important, right? There's 14 laws. There's there's not 14 suggestions. They're laws. If you follow the laws, you you're safe and you win. And if you break the laws, you're not safe and you hurt. And um, you know, 
we'll jump into three favorites. So the law of the hourglass is probably the most epic law that could ever be created around sales productivity because it deals with this idea that you got to make your moves before your time runs out. And most loan officers are guilty of trying to do too many things with the time they allocate. And as a result, they're not good at any one of them, right? And so the high-performance loan officer gets to a point very quickly where six to seven hours a day are borrower consultations, period, end of story. The other stuff gets delegated. The other stuff gets pushed into three other one-hour time blocks. But until you get to a point where your mortgage practice is about consultations, you have room to grow. And the reason why it's important to understand the law of the hourglass is because in our coaching uh, membership base, we have thousands of people that that we're coaching and have coached. And one of the things we do is we we help them uh, ascertain their hourly rate. We We really want them to understand, are you earning what you're worth? And what we know in our coaching program is the average entry per hour when you go into coaching is $37 an hour. And we know that within 12 months, we can get you between $600 and $800 an hour. So that law is profound because you can literally see a 20 to 30x increase in how much you make per hour. You do this long term over your career, and if you could have a 25x on how much you earn per hour, could you actually shorten your career by 75%? And the answer is yes. So that's one of them. Another law that I think is an epic law because it's the relational law is the law of the bullseye. And the law of the bullseye says, if you don't do business with the right prospects, you're likely to do business with any prospect. And what Mm -hmm. this does is it sets the hook to say, hey, listen, don't waste your time calling on everybody. Don't waste your time calling on anybody. Figure out who it is that you want to target. What's the bullseye look like? And the metaphor is super simple, and I'll just give it to anybody. Think about the last time you played darts. Think about looking at a dartboard. You know where the bullseye is, right? And outside the outer ring of the dartboard is the same color that's on the inside of the bullseye. So it's red. Let's just use red, right? So I could have 10 realtors around the outer ring that could give me a loan each a month, and that would be 10 loans. I'd have 10 personalities. I'd have 10 times the energy conflicts. I would have 10 times the phone calls. I would have, I mean, you know, but I'd still be able to do 10 loans a month or, or I could come to the next layer and I could have two realtors who give me five, or I could come to the very middle and have one realtor who gives me 10. And that's what the law of the bullseye is. But the one thing, no matter from whom I'm taking business is we got to have chemistry. We got to have shared values. Our likability has to be large because if we don't have likability, chemistry, and shared values, we're not going to work well together. So there's as much power saying no to getting in relationship with people as there is in saying yes. But once you say yes, then it's so much easier. I mean, to, to be able to do 500 units a year with 13 realtors is stellar when you think about it, right? And so that's the idea of bullseye. And then the other one that we kind of touched on, but but I'll give it the name, uh, is the law of incubation. And the law of incubation says the most profitable relationships mature over time. That's the database analogy, right? And so when okay. we look at our we look at our our following and we look at our database and we look at how we're nurturing our network, 
Um, if you're not incubating, you're not growing the worth of your database. And I, I'll just tell everybody watching this right now, there's a point in time that if you really get this, you can make a million dollars a year just serving your database, doing loans. That's it. How many, uh, how many contacts would you say you need in order to just self-sustain like that? Well, it, it depends remember? really on, on how much you want to make. But, you know, the sure. analogy we used earlier is if you do the math real quick and I'll just do it right here because I want to make sure I give you the right number. But if I've got one borrower and they're going to refer me to four different deals and $3,500 a loan, um, that's $14,000. And if I times that by 400 loyal borrowers, that's $5.6 million in five years. So if I divide that by five, uh, let's see here, that's a million one every year. So how many you need? You need 400 loyal borrowers at a $3,500 a unit commission. One more time, 14,000 times 400. So you make 5.6 million over the five years, divide that by five and you get 1.12. So you can make $100,000 a month loving on 400 people in your database. So, I mean, theoretically, if you were to do 100, you could still make 250 grand a year. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, if you just, you, let's, you just divide let's it divide by four, that. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, if, and you, that's if just, you're not super yeah. ambitious and you don't want to make a million dollars a year, you don't want to work so hard, you can just, hey, 100, 100 good people. Yeah, but watch this. Watch this. Let's build it the right way and let's have a team of concierge that manage the database and then let's make that money anyway without you working, the loan officer. What the, one of the guys I know that makes almost $4 million in commissions, he takes 15 weeks off a year. He's like five day weekends, two day work weeks. Why not? Why not flip the script? Why not? Right? Why not? Hey, if you yeah. if you set up and and that's what I love about business and and yeah. you know loan officers, I I would say are, are yeah. really businesses, even though a lot of times are W two, is you get to you get to create the business that you want, right? And so many times I think people get so stuck in. And I myself found myself doing the same thing, get stuck building someone else's dream vision. This is what success looks like. And so, so many people are like, man, I got to grind. I got to work on the weekends. I got to work on nights. Like, but the truth is you don't, right? Like create the business that you want. And, you know, when you use things like Todd's, you know, laws, uh, you know, creating relationships with the right people, you don't have to do that. And you get to pick and choose who you work with, right? Like that's, I think that's a, um, that's a super powerful confidence booster as well when you can pick and choose who you work with. Well, right? not, like, not only not only is it a huge confidence booster, it gives you it feeds your self-esteem because you when you look in the mirror and you're doing business with people that you don't like, it wears on your self-image. The psychology of doing business with the wrong people is really really demoralizing and and defeating and and it, you know, it just it drains you. And uh we have we have people, we had one gal in the Hydro Sales Academy that um, raised her hand and she said, how do I fire a realtor? And I said, well, here's how you do it. Blah, 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 blah. And I asked her, I said, do you have a realtor you want to fire? And she said, yes. And I said, okay, um, let me tell you the script one more time. Blah, 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 blah. Repeat that back to me. Blah, 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 blah. I made her repeat back 10 times. And then we got 200 people in the room, right? And she's a loan officer. She repeats it back 10 times. And I said, how badly do you want to fire this realtor? And she said, more badly or more than anything I've ever wanted to do in this business. And I said, great. Do you have a cell phone? And she said, yes. And I said, get out your phone, make the call. Woo! And she fired, she fired the realtor in the middle of the Hytro Sales Academy with 199 colleagues surrounding her. And it was absolutely amazing because she had spent seven years getting the crap kicked out of her by somebody she didn't like and didn't want to do business with 
only because they referred a lot of business to her. Because they're the producer. At the end of the day, it's not fun to do business with people. In fact, life is too short to do business with people you don't like. And so the 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 thing about this residual income and, and the message to everybody watching is, you know, if you stopped originating today, how long would you continue to make money? And for most people, it's when that pipeline thins out and funds out, you're done, right? Well, why don't you do it differently? Why don't we build it so that you can have fun in life? Why don't you provide... Uh, income opportunity and employment opportunity for other people to help you run that database. You're never going to pay what you're going to make on that. And, you know, if 25% of that $5.1 million goes to commissions and team, and, and that's a million bucks and it's $250,000 in expense, you know, every year, you're still going to net $800,000. So why not do that? And the, the, the idea that we're teaching our, so we have 34 people that are in our elite group and uh, their income last year was $91 million. Jeez. So, and this is not, this is not owner comp. These guys are absolutely crushing it. And the most interesting thing we're doing is we're trying to get to a point where 20% of the income these guys make is earned income. So it's the money coming in from their efforts every single day. Right. And we're trying right. to get to a point where 75 to 80% of the income is residual. Residual is mailbox money. And your database provides mailbox money if you love on your database. But you can't get that money if you have forgotten about them and they're kind of downstream and out of your right. current. Yeah. So it's like selling 101 is build relationships for life. And if you do that, you never have to sell a thing. I love it. Let's yep. before we before we wrap it up. I wanted to, to touch on one last thing um, because yeah. it's kind of what the direction we're going here is. As you're building a team, right? I mean, a lot of loan officers are kind of single loan officers. Um, I've, I've noticed recently you've talked a lot about leadership. I know that's probably a, a big thing for you always, but uh, I was kind of checking out your profiles and stuff like that right before this, this thing. I noticed a lot about leadership. And then I saw your awesome shirt that says culture always wins. So uh, tell me a little bit about that. Like, what does it look like to kind of build a team uh, to, to step up into the leadership? Because I'm going to be honest, like probably the hardest part of growing a business is managing people, is building the team, is, is all that kind of stuff, right? It's, it's, a, it's a skill that we're typically not taught. Um, so, yeah. so talk a little bit about that because I really think it's huge. And I do think it's very, very fulfilling uh, to build the team, but it's also probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. No, it's hard. It's hard to it's hard to build it, and it's and it's hard to to manage it. But things that come to mind, you know, immediately, um, hire slow, fire fast. You know, that's a that's a big deal for people to understand. We're all going to make mistakes in hiring the wrong people. We make them. Everybody makes mistakes, um, and so if that, in fact, is something you have to address, then you have to address it. But then also, then start to reflect on the idea that if I want to avoid hire slow, fire fast then I want to honor, if in doubt, say no. And, you know, the rule kind of is if you don't have, at least in your preview, and maybe your inner circle. So, like, we don't hire anybody without three people involved in helping make the decision. So, it's it's, it's it. my operations manager, it's my marketing chief marketing officer, and it's me, right? And so, we don't want to hire anybody that the three of us can't look at each other and say, this is the right person. In fact, this week we turned away four people and uh, you know, it's a critical position for the company. It's uh, it's around design and, and graphics and things like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're not humble, hungry and smart, and these, none of these people felt that way, we're just going to pass. Culture is about um, the values of the company, the values of the brand and culture 
always wins because it allows people to feel connected as part of a team. And the uh, resilience of people that feel connected as a team is so valuable in a brand and teamwork when you have the same culture and the same cultural values and you celebrate those values makes the business work. And people love working for a great culture. In fact, they love it more than the money that they'll make by working for that company. And it's really exciting when you wake up and you know, leaders come to work and you love everybody. You get to say hi to everybody. And there's not anybody on your radar that you like do a left turn and avoid, you know, and that's just, that's like goofy, goofy, right? Because we're paying a salary and we've already given up on somebody or our mindset's wrong. I tell managers all the time, the most expensive time in your life is the time between when you give up on somebody and the time you do something about it. And people just kind of drop their job because they've had people just like loan officers that let realtors hang around too long. Um, managers let people hang around too long and you got to move them up or you got to move them out. And I don't mean to be crass there because if I move them up, we've got deep relationship and they deserve to be moved up. Right. But if I move them out, there's nothing I can do to change that course. And circling all the way back to the emotional question early in our time together, leaders have to know the answer to the question, what's important about success to you as a, you know, a marketing person or as a, you know, digital person or as a, how can I help you win? Right. And when you show empathy and you show humanity and you celebrate um, the successes, instead of always pointing out the failures, you got a good culture and people love it. And loyalty strong, turnovers low, profitability's high. There's no downside to, to building a winning team. Yeah, I mean, I I love it, and, and you know, like I said, it, it's it's definitely hard, but it's definitely uh, uh, what, probably one of the most empowering or like the the, the best things yeah. that I've done. It just it just feels good, and and then you know, on one side, it's a little stressed because you're like, man, now I got you know 10, 15, 20 people depending on me, um, but it, you know, at the same time, it's like, man, it's crazy that that we've built something that you know so many people want to be part of. Um, and, and you talked about the money thing, right? I think what's hard for people like us, entrepreneurs, salespeople, is that unlike mostly us, like most entrepreneurs and salespeople are going to be motivated by money, right? That's going to be their, their number one motivator. Yes, there's other things that are kind of behind it, but most employees are not necessarily motivated by money. Sometimes experiences is what they want. Sometimes the bonus isn't as good as some sort of an experience that you can give them. Um, and just, we have to realize that everybody's a little bit different. And I think it's hard for sometimes people like us, again, like very like just vision type of people and things like that to see other people in like their different roles and sort of... Um, how do I say this? Um, just relate, right? Because it's just a very different personality uh, of the type of people that want to just be employees and want to just be part of a good thing um, versus the person who wants to be the number one person that wants to like, you know, grind and, and go do the thing. So I don't know, that was a big sort of eye-opening thing to me was not everybody is motivated by money, right? Well, it, but yet everybody knows the stress of not having enough money. And so, right, right, uh, right. You know, so a couple of things, we, we, uh, we had an executive meeting um, a couple of years ago and um, it was going to be about like uh, after the meeting, what do we want to do to just kind of have some fun as a team? And um, so the meeting was over and there's five people in the meeting and I, and I asked, uh, so what do you guys want to do now? And, and nobody spoke up immediately. And I said, let's go golf. You know, let's just go to the country club and play golf this afternoon. And uh, the president of the company said, no, let's go skydiving. And I said, what? And he goes, no, skydiving would be a really great team building exercise. And I said, you're crazy. And everybody else said, yeah, let's go skydiving. And I'm going, oh, my gosh, you know, let me check my insurance policy first. (laughs) Everybody's covered. 
and so we we drove no we drove out and we had our you know hour and a half prep lesson and we were all going to be doing a, a tandem jump and I remember us getting uh, getting ready to go and I said okay so here's the deal since this is a team building exercise when we get down to the ground not if but when we get back down to the ground you got to tell me the lesson you learned because if we're going to do this and it's going to build the team you know, tell me the lesson you learned. So we're up and, and then we're out and we're free falling at 130 miles an hour. And uh, we pull the chutes at 5,500 feet and we land and everybody gets a shoot off. And I said, so what's the lesson? And the first guy, the president said, I think it makes a lot of sense to make sure the person you're attached to knows what they're doing. And that was like, you know, cause, cause it makes a lot of sense in team building that team members need to count on each other to know what they're doing. Right. And we just had fun mm-hmm. with that. And, and that's, that's a blast. And then the other thing, my wife gets a lot of credit for this. She says, don't do bonus plans. And I said, why not? And she goes, because people expect it. And I said, so what's, yes. what do you do? You do surprise bonuses. So surprise bonuses. So I'll, I'll tell you a quick story and then you can take it wherever you want. We had a, uh, a, a live stream that we did, I don't know, maybe eight months ago and it was called Irrefutable. And um, we pulled it off. The team pulled it off without any hitch at all. We had thousands of people attend this live stream event and, and it was flawless, just flawless. And so remembering what my wife said, um, it's all done. I sneak out the back door. I go to the bank and I withdraw enough cash to give every employee a thousand dollar bonus for wow. that moment, that moment. So I come back, I gather everybody around the table and they're all sitting there and I start counting out, go to the next person, count out a thousand, next person, count out a thousand, next person. And it was like totally random. They, they, they made it work, not knowing they were going to get a bonus because that's culture, right? They delivered it at spades, level 10 experience, and then boom, I'm just going to go to the bank and get some money. And that's the way to really build culture. Surprise bonuses are far more effective than planned bonuses. I love that. I, I think that's yeah. huge because, and that's one of the things that we do as well. I mean, we have a copy and awesome channel. We use Slack and we use a copy and awesome channel. Just, Hey, shout out your, your, your employee, you know, an employee that's, has really done something really cool. And so we do that all the time. Yeah. Just, just bringing up like, Hey, you know, something yeah. cool about Great this person. Yeah. It's something that I implemented that like, it was actually something that was suggested. I was like, man, this is kind of weird. And it was like, especially at first I was like the one that was in there every day, like posting something. Yeah. I'm like, man, no one else is posting. No one else is posting. No one else is posting. After about a month of doing that, all of a sudden you started the momentum, momentum. And then it's like, all right, well now it's, you know, I, I typically don't even have to go in there. The people are always just posting stuff. So it's, it's really cool uh, to yeah. sort of build that. Um, sort of sort of like to, to close out a little bit here. What is one thing that a loan officer can go out there today and go get more business? Well, I, I think the, the, the first thing is to understand that you got to decide what your business model is and, and how much do you need. But for me, the first thing to do is to always check, do I have enough referral relationships in play to make my business plan work. And, you know, um, I would tell everybody right now that this idea of follow-up, right? I did a video yesterday. It'll be out in two weeks. And it was all about, you know, when, when I sit down with a realtor and I have a conversation with him or her, and at the end, you know, they're excited about doing business together. Um, it could end like this. Hey, Bill, based on what we've talked about, do you feel that there's a basis for us exploring a business partnership and doing some business together? And let's say Bill says yes. And I say, that's awesome. Can't wait. And Bill says, yeah, I'll keep you in mind for my next buyer. Most loan officers would lead that conversation and say, great. 
And then like a week later, wondering where the buyer is, two weeks later, wondering where the buyer is, right? Because they didn't right, right. do the most important thing. So when Bill said, um, I'll refer my next buyer to you, the loan officer that is purposeful would say, um, when do you think that will be? And how many are you working with right now? Because I don't want to, even even though they've said yes to a business partnership, I don't want to leave until I ask that question. And you better hope that Bill says, well, I don't have any buyers right now because you don't want him. You better hope he doesn't say that. You don't want him to say that because theoretically you would have targeted the right way and you have known right. this person is doing business. Right. But then what happens is I take it to the next level and I say, Bill, I'm so excited that we're going to do business together. In fact, to make sure we get off to the right start, Every Thursday and Friday, I make 10 to 15 minute calls to my real estate partners. And all we do is explore three business development questions every week. Same questions. They're designed to bring you more sellers, more buyers, and me more borrowers. So right now I've got two slots on Thursday at two or four, and I have a couple slots on Friday at 12 or one. Which one of those makes sense where you could commit to 10 to 15 minutes every week for the next 12 weeks so we can get this relationship off the ground? And that like 99.9% of loan officers don't do that. So watch this. I'm in front of Bill and I'm opening my CRM and I'm going to put this in my calendar. I'm going to enter Bill's email. I'm going to alarm it for 15 minutes. It's got an end date 12 weeks from now. Ba, 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 ba. Send. Bill's sitting right there and Bill gets the meeting invite. So, Bill, you better accept the meeting invite. Otherwise, you saying yes to me to doing business was a bunch of hot air, right? So if, Bill's, if Bill accepts it, now what have I just done as a loan officer? I have put somebody of value into a 12-week follow-up plan that the only way it's going to fail is if I don't make the call. Well, and they acknowledged that they were okay with it, getting that no, but call li- too. But listen, yeah, but li- that's my point. But listen, so now the loan officer doesn't have any negative thinking because Bill didn't refer a buyer. What if in that call, these two questions are asked of Bill? Hey, Bill, who do you know right now that you've met in the last seven days that you'd like to sell real estate two or four, and you're not sure they're going to use you? Boom. What's that list look like? Because I'm going to call them. I'm going to cross sell you, and I'm going to reel them back in for you. How about this question, Bill? Who are you showing property to this week that I have not had a financial review yet? with that in so doing, we'd be able to increase their purchase power and minimize the number of homes you need to show them before you go to contract. What if I just ask those two questions and then, hey, Bill, any needs in this first week that I'm not meeting that I need to meet? Second week, 10th week, hey, Bill, any needs you have this week that I'm not meeting or I need to meet? Because that's retention. That's the law of the hook. So, man, that's how you start right now and get business because All you have to do is think, okay, I'm going to do this with 10 people and then we're going to do two minimum two buyer consultations a week per agent, 20 a week, 25% conversion. That's five loans a week. That's 20 loans a month. You're in the top 5% at 20 loans a month. Yeah. You're, you're, uh, you're crushing it at 20 loans. It's funny you talked about this. Uh, I don't know if you know Michael Mann, but top producer over at Fairway. And um, he, he talks about this. You ever walk into a, a meeting, he says, and then you walk out thinking you're doing a bunch of business together and then go into the witness protection program. Uh, so it's funny. It's funny because that's that's really what happens, right? Like you go in, yeah. you have this conversation, but you don't have that conversation around what the next steps are looking like. And so, you know, the truth is people just want you out or whatever, like, yeah, yeah, sure. We'll do business, but it's a false offer, right? So you want to yeah. have that conversation because if that person doesn't want to work with you, then you can stop wasting your time following up with that person. 
right? Like who's, well, why, yeah. why waste the next 12 weeks doing this? If that person's like, no, nah, I don't actually want to do business with you. Yeah. And then on the other hand, just my, my final comment on the other hand is let's say you can't even get the appointment with them yet. Cause they have a loyal lender. They've got somebody they're sure. in a relationship with. Um, my commitment was, and my best realtor said, Todd, I love what you just did, but I don't feel I can move from John over at Mark One Lending. Right. And I said, That's fantastic. I Man, I appreciate your loyalty. Um, I'd like to just continue to get to know you, give you ideas you might find valuable and put myself in a position that if anything ever changes with John, the first person you'll think about is me. Would that be okay? And she said, absolutely. So listen to this. I gave her something minimally every week, an idea a voicemail, you know, a fax, some idea that would help her as a real estate agent. 83 pieces of data over 18 months. And at the 18th month, John mispriced a loan, didn't pay the mark to market fee. Three deals fell. She lost $40,000 in commissions and called me because for 18 months, I let her know she was important to me. I never asked her for business. I just let her know she was important to me by giving her ideas that help her win. First day, I got 12 loans from her. And in the next four years, we did $85 million in business. One realtor, wow. 20 mil a year, one realtor. So don't give up, but don't keep doing the wrong thing. Give real value, real value. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and the funny thing is I also see the on the other side, one, a loan officer finally has a deal that they're giving away to a, a loan, a realtor. And then immediately they're like, I expect you to give me all of your business going forward because I gave you this one, one deal. And it's like, I don't think that's how this works, dude. Like you don't just get to like demand things like that. You can talk about like, Hey, I'm going to do this as a, as a show of good faith. And I want, you know, obviously we want to do this as a relationship, but I, I think too many times, you know, people come in demanding things. And, and I love this idea of just, you know, one, you build trust, but two, you're just doing things to, uh, to add value. And, and, uh, what stresses me out a little bit or not stresses me out, but like 83 pieces of content, like tell me a little bit about that. Just, just briefly, because we're, you know, just trying to wrap it up here, but just briefly, what does that look like? Does it have to be anything crazy? Or is it just like a quick little touch here and there? No, I mean, like, like today you can find any piece of value you want on Google and like, you know, 0.02 seconds. Right. Sure. <clears throat> and so in the old days though, before Google was around, I read a lot of real estate books. I listened to a lot of real estate audios. I went to a lot of real estate conferences. I became a real estate broker, got my license. And all wow. I would do was take snippets. So I'll give you an idea. So, so one of my agents was complaining about how, um, Whenever she did price adjustments in the last 30 days of a listing, they still weren't selling like she wanted them to sell. And so I came up with this idea. I said, you know, let's not do that anymore. Let's not do a price reduction. Let's see if it would work if we increase the buyer's side commission. So instead of putting price reduced on a, on a for sale sign in a front yard, why don't we put the commission rate to a buy side agent? So instead of three, it'd be four, two and a half, it'd be three and a half. And let's do a seller net sheet and see what would produce a higher net sheet. Would it be paying an extra 1% of commission or would it be doing the traditional 6% price reduction? And it always is paying the commission, right? And so right. what happens in the last 30 days, if the world knows that they're going to make more money showing your home, just think about it. So it's not going to expire now. So I got that out of Daniel Kennedy's book, How to Win by Buying and Selling Real Estate. Just a little paragraph, right? So I would photocopy it. I would put, Debbie, check this out. Daniel Kennedy's book rocks. Drop it in the mail. Send it to her. Today, I could email it. Today, I could do a video on it. Today, I could sure. do any of those things. 
you know, an agent says to you, I need help here. Well, you don't have to know the answer, but you can say, let me think about it and give you an answer this evening. I can go to Google and figure out what's the answer and I can give it to her and I can look like a hero. They can do it too, but they don't. So that's it. Yeah. I love it. I love that. And and Todd, thank you so much for being here, man. Wanted it really quick. Todd, where is there, uh, where's like the best place for people to find you online if they want to go check out your your programs? Yeah. Two things real quickly. Uh, Sales Mastery uh, event coming up 30th year. Big, big, big deal this year in October. Uh, ToddDuncan.com. Just look under events. And then we've got two white papers. One is the high trust interview and one is the talk less, sell more white paper. You can go to resources at ToddDuncan.com. Just click the drop down and you'll see those two absolutely free of charge. Uh, my gift to you, just check those out. And I think uh, if you want to follow me on social, all my social handles are Todd Duncan official. Man, I love it. I love it. This is this has been a, a fantastic podcast, a fantastic interview. Yeah, for fine. people that are listening, for people that are listening, you know, just know that like you can stand out and still do some of the same things that everybody else is doing. Um, the same things. I'm, I'm putting it in parentheses or in quotes because you know you are really standing out in a different way, and you're asking more questions, and you're showing up in a different way that no one else is. Again, everybody else is showing up asking for business, asking for business, asking for business, uh, and, and the way Todd has sort of lined it out is that you know what, like, yeah, you can ask for the business, but hey, why don't you just give value, 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 value? I mean, it's almost like the, the jab, 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 right hook, right? Uh, the Gary V, the Gary V approach, just give as much value as possible. And, you know, they're going to naturally turn around and want to do business with you. But I mean, 18 pieces in, he said, no, 38 pieces. No, 38 83, pieces in 83 pieces. No, 83 pieces. 83 pieces in 18 months. So you do have to follow up. Realize, you know, there is a a follow-up element here. Uh, And these days you can do a lot of that with automation and things like that. But again, know that with 100 to 400 people, you can literally grow the dream business. So thank you so much for listening and have a great day. Thank you for tuning into the Loans On Demand podcast on loansondemandpodcast.com. The Loans On Demand podcast.